If this life is driving you to drink, you sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing, 'cause I know nothing's gonna be alright. Hi, I'm Ellie May O'Hagan, and I'm Owen Jones, and this is Agitpod, our fortnightly podcast, full of insight, sort of, kind of, some of it, none of it. There, there was no insight. Um, look, we try and be an upbeat, uh, but it would be remiss not to mention the horrendous events in Manchester, my beloved home city, uh, which was attacked uh, in a despicable act of terrorism. And we just wanted to say our thoughts are with the beautiful people of Manchester, uh, all those who died and their families. Yeah. Uh, we want to pay tribute to the victims of the attack, their families, survivors, Manchester's amazing emergency services, everyone at the MEN, including Ariana Grande and her team, and the people of Manchester themselves who've been nothing short of heroes this week. We are thinking of you. So, as it's been such a tough week this week, we thought that you guys would need cheering up. So we've got a very special treat for you, which we are really excited about and been trying to contain ourselves. I would say one of my all-time heroes. Yeah, we've been trying to be really professional. So we turned up late. Um, <laughs> we've uh, screwed up recording the podcast. We're looking like a, a slick, well, well-oiled machine. So I spilled tea on myself. You did. It was pretty did. humiliating. You had a burst tire. I did have a burst tire. Yeah. That was uh, that was the low point. It's been downhill all the way since then. However. He's... If you recognise that voice. <laughs> Those are the dulcet tones of none other than Armando Iannucci. Good evening, good morning. Depends, of good course. Good day, depends. What? This could be listened to in 2035, I suppose. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to put it in a time capsule, yeah. like in Blue Peter. And people will wonder, in, in 2035, people, people will be saying, I wonder what happened to Owen Jones oh, <laughs> in 2017. Let's find, let's dig up let's this. Dig up. Before yeah, his yeah. terrible accident. Before his terrible <laughs> No, it'll be before his terrible professional shame. <laughs> before that scandal. Before he had to give up the editorship of The Spectator <laughs> following the scandal. And tw- yeah, yeah. Because, uh, before I became a right-wing fascist leader. <laughs> yes. uh, so what was his trajectory? Before he kind of bought Breitbart News <laughs> as part of his media empire that he'd gradually yeah. been building up. And disowned Donald Trump as a pinko, wet, liberal... Uh, pathetic uh, yes. commie. Yes. So, yes, indeed. Mm. Um, now, Armando, uh, where do you start? Alan Partridge, Brass Eye, Thicker, oh. Veep. But now you've got a film coming out about Joseph Stalin. Joseph Stalin, Partridge. yes. It was the logical. It's called step. The Death of Stalin, and it is, and the clue is in the title. It's all about the events surrounding the death of Stalin and the big power struggle that goes on in the Kremlin. Um, and it's based on lots of true stories of what actually happened. Uh, and it is a comedy, but it's also terrifying at the same time. And a lot of the comedy comes from everybody struggling to try and work out what they should believe in next and how they should behave and what they should say. And it's got people like um, um, Steve Buscemi is Nikita Khrushchev. Oh, I love Steve Buscemi. Simon Russell Beale is Laurenti Beria, the head of the security forces. And Michael Palin, great comedy hero of mine, is, um, is Molotov. Foreign Secretary and Jeffrey Tambor from Oh I love him. Uh, he's he's Malenkov. He takes over from Stalin and is way out of his depth in 
thinks he's running the he's, Soviet he's Union. He's playing Stalin. There's a guy called Adrian McLaughlin. Stalin's dead within the first 10 minutes. Oh, I mean, okay. there's no, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, I, I don't, I'm not even going to say spoiler alert because, as I say, it is all there in the just title. ruined the first 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's all based on true, true events. Um, you know, he told his, Stalin told his guards he never wanted to be interrupted. I, and everyone was, lived in fear of being taken away and shot. So when the guards heard him fall over with a stroke, they didn't want to interrupt, so they just stayed outside his room for like a day. And he was left lying in a pool of his own urine God. until the Politburo arrived. And the Politburo it's like a even... normal Saturday night for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Politburo arrived. But even then, they didn't call a doctor because Stalin had had lots of the good doctors all arrested because he was convinced they were trying to poison him. So they then have oh, a discussion the about what sort of doctor to call and should it be a bad doctor or, you know. And it's all, all based on true stuff. So it's, yes, it's the comedy of fear and tyranny. And, you know, we shot it last summer and yet, you know, screening it to people, they've all said it seems strangely um, relevant and, and contemporary because it's all about, you know, false history and new his, new facts and alternative facts mm. and false narratives. Mm. And and also about a overly complacent tyrant who attempted to crush all opposition. Before the scandal there emerges, I'm not actually <laughs> comparing Theresa May to Joseph Stalin. That's, that's, <laughs> no, that's a Man Online would, article already. But okay. I, I would compare her to Donald Trump <laughs> in that she, she uh, when she called the election, it struck me, she stood outside number 10 and said, I'm really disappointed the way the other parties behaved there. They're voting against me. Um, so I'm going to call an election so that I can not have other parties that vote against me all the time. <laughs> and I just thought, but, you know, you have perfectly described how a fully functioning democracy should work. So why are you, you know, the, she basically called an election because there was too much democracy in Parliament. <laughs> That's why she called it. But also, it was totally, I mean, she just makes stuff up. That wasn't May. even true. Well, it, yes. She said Article 50, 50 yeah. kept being, uh, you know, repeated obstruction from the yeah, opposition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And actually, a lot of people are pretty annoyed with Labour because they said you didn't obstruct it enough. Yeah. yeah, when I've been canvassing, actually, I've spoken to a lot of, like, people who would normally vote Labour who were like, well, I probably will vote for them, but I'm really annoyed with them that they've been too soft on Brexit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and where the parallel comes with Trump is that thing of making things up in that she, um, she talks long and hard about, you know, appealing to the just about managing and she's going to be the party for all the people. But actually the policies are about <laughs> taking away uh, winter payments for heat and taking away hot lunches from children and you know it, she's actually willing a slow heat death on the whole country <laughs> in terms of just basically lowering but it but it's very you know it's quite hardline on immigration so they're they're actually fairly the the she she thinks that just by talking the language of appealing to the moderate middle mm. the and the just about managing while actually pursuing policies that are the opposite of that, she can somehow sort of square square that circle. That's that's what I find is similar to Trump. In that Trump will say, you know, I'm, I'm going to look after you. I'm going to bring you jobs. But all his, you know, his tax plans are actually and his healthcare repeal is actually about harming the people he's directly appealing to. And that's what I find slightly similar with her. What I find astonishing, that I mean, it was always hardwired into me from an early age that the Tories yeah. were these evil Machiavellian geniuses yes. and you know whatever crisis hit them they'd somehow turn it to advantage financial crash classic example yeah. but this time these people they sat you know 
Theresa May, little cottery of advisors, mm. clicks their fingers and went, we're going to smash the opposition. This is our big moment. Look at the polling. Mm. And who knows, it might still end in a Tory landslide. I suspect it probably will. Well, but, it, but nonetheless, the centrepiece of their manifesto, mm. the absolute centrepiece, was uh, literally asking people on dementia to pay 100% inheritance tax of everything above £100,000 a war. And they put that anyway. This will, this will play brilliantly. I mean, you wrote, obviously, the thick of it. Mm. I mean, it's it is beyond beyond the thick of it. What were <laughs> what they do you thinking? Think Peter Mannion would be doing right now. Uh, he'd be trying to work out what the policy was. I was <laughs> I was actually on the on um, I was on um, the Daily Politics with Andrew Neil oh, yeah. when the manifesto was launched, and he had on um, the guy from the Institute of Fiscal Studies. So and Andrew Neil's pretty sharp as well, and he and Institute of Fiscal Studies between them were trying to work out what on earth this. 100% if you have, but that's a threshold against, I mean, it was impossible to work out in mm. simple terms what it meant. And I and I remember saying at the time, I think a lot of older voters are just going to go, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Even even if, you know, the small print is actually, no, no, what we're doing is this and it's fine. Are you saying I, 100% inheritance tax uh, for everything over £100,000 pe- with people for dementia isn't going to play yeah, very yeah. well? So, you're gonna, so when I die, you're going to come after my family. <laughs> is is that a good thing? You're, you're going to pursue me to beyond death. But it's, more, a- it's more the sort of dementia element of it as well, isn't it? It's more like... Well, is the, and I th- isn't the dementia thing, I, th- I think, that someone Yeah, but it's the idea of like, we're going to pay for your social yeah, care by yeah, taking yeah. your stuff away from you. I mean, that's like not a function. Well, the point is, if you get cancer, yeah. then your your inheritance tax the, the it's a million pounds and above. You don't yeah, get anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference is if it's if it's something like it doesn't have to be dementia, but it's that's yes. the most common. If it's an elderly, yeah, it's elderly, kind of yeah. weird and and gross to sort of but rank also, illnesses it, in the sort of order of like which one. Deserves but also, the most it's many. a sort of complacency that she felt she was so perfectly positioned to kind of move in on Labour territory, move in on UKIP territory that she could just turn on her solid bedrock of elderly voters who do vote in large numbers conservative and say, actually, I, I don't have to care as much about you this time round because mm. you're going to vote for me anyway. And that, that has been, that is one of the big stories of the election. The other big story of the election, I think, is um, 200 UKIP candidates not standing in 200 conservative seats. So... Uh, that, and that, that's where the Tory jump in the polls has come from. It's from hoovering up all the... It's, it's almost like an unwritten, unspoken electoral pact, mm. which means that, you know, the right is now unified. Yeah. In a way. Basically, the Tories have gone, you know what? If you don't stand, we will literally turn into UKIP. That's yeah, yeah, the yeah, agreement yeah, yeah, yeah. we will make yeah. with you. We will, you know, we will, you will have no further purpose. But yeah. it does mean the right is now unified in the way that, you know, the, the left of centre isn't, in that you've got Lib Dems and Greens mm. and... SNP and and Labour and talk of a new party as well, which will only just fragment it further. That's the that's the 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 dilemma that I think is is, is facing politics. Because, because obviously the Tory strategy was twofold. It was to go, yeah. well, look, this beardy hippie is going to nationalise your children uh, on yeah. the one hand, and the yeah. other was UKIPization. Because what you end up if Labour got the same vote as last time, the yeah. same percentage. Then as things stand, they could lose dozens of seats. Yes, because you'll get you know one seat where. You know, Labour, I've got 18,000 votes. The Tories got 10,000. UKIP got 10,000. But you throw yeah, those together at the next yeah. election, that then the Tories would win. But that said, the polling, mm-hmm. uh, which at the beginning of the campaign was basically, some people are, oh, blimey, if Labour end up with five seats at the end of this, mm-hmm. they'll be pretty chuffed. But now uh, it's collapsed from a 21-point lead 
to a five-point lead with Labour on 38%, which they've not had for... for, Well, they didn't get anywhere near under Miliband. In Wales, there's been a 16-point swing back to Labour. And honestly, like, my... You know, our jobs are like to be political commentators, and Mm. I'm going on Sky Papers on Saturday night, and I know that they're going to say to me, well, what's going on? And Mm. honestly, for one of the first times since I became a political commentator, my answer is, I don't know. You just don't know, do you? No, I know. I don't know what's going on. and, And that's... Really, what's been the case for the last four or five years, the sort of volatility. And, and mm. it may well be in a, year, a week's time, it's swung back the other way. Um, you may have Lib Dems on 55%. I don't know. You won't. But uh, it, it's... And I, I think what's happened is party loyalties have have, have withered. There's a whole generation of uh, grown up and are maybe voting for the first or possibly the second time who don't think in terms of parties, who think in terms of issues and policies and... And, and we'll gravitate towards whichever party seems to sum up um, as many of the policies they believe in as possible. But there isn't a kind of, well, I've always voted Labour or I've always... You know, it's the, the electorate is fickle. Now, I think that's a good thing because it keeps every party on its toes and that they can't take any group for granted. And it's why um, I and lots of other people have been trying to encourage 18 to 21-year-olds in particular to register mm. to vote because... You know, if you become a big, powerful voting bloc the same way that the older vote is, then politicians take notice. Well, come to this, Jenna, in terms of your big campaign there. Mm. Um, but, I mean, because what I think, kind of one of the rules of politics normally is mm. the the a campaign doesn't change the underlying dynamic. Yeah. That basically, you know, whatever manifesto, whatever policies a party stands on, basically... If one party is way ahead at the beginning, that's exactly how yeah. it will end. Yeah. But the dynamic did change, didn't it? Because the Tories said their centrepiece was uh, a so-called dementia tax. Yes. Uh, but Labour's policies, wherever you think about them, have cut through. People do like them, don't they? Yes, and and they've um, there've been no big shocks as well. You know, it's it's sort of like, well, what were you expecting <laughs> when, when Labour revealed their manifesto? Um, but I do think a lot of the swing is a lot is is a reaction to the May complacency and the, uh, you know, that, that, and also a concern, I think, when it looked like at one point there was going to be a majority of 170, I think people did think, actually, that's not, is that healthy? That's not healthy, is it? That's because the way the system works is that when any party wins a, a decent majority, it has absolute power. You know, opposition can do nothing if you have a big majority in the House of Commons. Um, and I think people are waking up to the fact that Theresa May is strangely flaky. You know, for strong and stable, she's a bit kind of... Um, she can be stubborn or she can come out with something, but as soon as it falls apart, she quickly runs away. That's another Trump. That's another Trumpian characteristic. Yeah, and she was like that as Home Secretary, actually. That um, She would often do things that were really incompetent and embarrassing. And then, you know, like, there was this, a terrorist, wasn't there, that she tried to deport and she signed yes. the wrong form? <laughs> and then, We've all um, done it. And then yeah. when, when journalists uh, tried to question her about it, they yeah. just couldn't get through to her. It just right. went silent. And that's that's been her political... You know, it really wasn't surprising for me who, like, I wrote about her a lot when she was Home Secretary. So to see her in these, like, really stage-managed environments where yes. she would go, you know, you were journalists to anybody who had a pen on them. Yeah. You know, like, that really... That's actually just a continuation of what she's like as a politician. Yes. And that really didn't surprise There's me that at control all. And, and actually an unwillingness to debate. Yeah, and also, like, I think the other thing as well, I'm wondering whether it's cut through, is that 
I think she kind of come across, comes across as though she doesn't really like the British public very much and she wants to avoid them as much as possible. And I kind of wonder if maybe like that's one thing. But the other thing that I've like noticed as well is that loads of people I know who, you know, are political but don't really do any kind of activism. Yeah. For the first time in their lives, go have been canvassing. I, I know people who have been going to marginals every single mm. weekend for the last month. But is that also because of uh, Trump and Brexit? In in the people who didn't come out and vote, realised, oh, hang on, because I didn't vote, oh, shit, that happened. <laughs> you know, actually, voting counts. Voting matters. And and I wonder whether that's why there's been a, a an uptake in in young people registering because actually they sat out the last election. They maybe didn't come out and. Mm as huge numbers as as the elderly did in Brexit uh, and, and realise that actually it makes a difference. It does make a difference. Yeah, and I also wonder if, um, you know, for a lot, for me, I would say as well, for us, like, mm. this is the first time in my life that I feel like there's actually, this is actually a genuine competition in yes. the sense that there's real opposition. Yes. You know, you've got this, like, uh, nationalistic right-wing offer on mm. one side and then a transformative left-wing programme on the other. So for the first time in my life, I feel like this is something that's really worth fighting for. Like the manifesto that Labour has released is something that I actually really want. But and do you think isn't... there's also uh, an element, because I detect also a similar element of control going on in, in the Corbyn campaign. I mean, why didn't he take part in the debate with the other leaders? Why, why isn't he engaging more in sort of Q&As with, with the public? I mean, I think he is in the, with the public. Um, but I think in terms of the other leaders, I got the impression that he basically was, instead of, it wasn't that he was saying, I'm not going to debate. It was more, it was trying to put a, a pressure on Theresa May to do it and also not... Didn't work, though. You know, yeah, I think he should have. I, I think I, it would have been yeah. great for him to do a debate with her. I, I really would have done it. But I think they were worried, weren't they? That, that whole narrative was... Coalition of Chaos, which yeah, would be a yeah. great film. Actually, like. it would yes. be the Coalition of Chaos all in a line. Do you see there. what I mean? They'd all be standing there and they could yeah. go, these are the people who will be running the country. Look at them. It'll be yeah, Leanne yeah. Wood from Wales and Tim Farron. And people say uh, Tim Farron is me in 20 years, which is pretty, pretty <laughs> traumatising. Whenever he's on yeah. radio, people go, oh, Owen's, Owen's dad's on radio. <laughs> uh, which is one of the most humiliating things I've ever had to endure. I like life. that thing that they, I think on the last line they picked up on his delivery, Tim Farron's delivery in that debate was, he was turning into Dalek because he just kept doing the kind of, uh, you, you know, the people must decide, let that be your choice. I will not let that happen. You know, and it was like, I will not let that happen. Enfranchised, <laughs> enfranchised. Yeah. I mean, the Lib Dem thing has been interesting because it's... Um, they've gone, woo! Yeah, they've had a roller coaster. But it's a, just a weird, literally. but this weird obsession with Brexit, which is, uh, it, it, it it, it, you know, trying to turn the election into a repeat of something that happened last year doesn't mm. seem like the most innovative and progressive attempt. To yeah, the also I find the whole like, I mean, I I voted Remain and I was mm. pretty gutted when Brexit happened. Although I have to say, I did expect it, so that cushioned the blow a little bit. Mm. But but um, <laughs> yeah. always expect misery. You'll yeah, still yeah. be disappointed. That but. is my uh, that that's my been my working uh, yeah. hypothesis for the last two years, and it has not let me down so far. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I, I find that, you know, all of these like Remainers who want a second referendum, I just find that bizarre. It's like, what, so we can vote out all over again? You know, it, like these are the people that mm. often are like, we must be pragmatic. We must listen to the views of the British people. But then as soon as Brexit happened, they were like, no pragmatism. Let's just have a do-over. No, and it is like a strange, you know, until the election was called, I was all set to talk about the, this, um, you know, the aftermath of the vote. Because I felt, I, you know, I voted Remain, disappointed to lose. But I kind of think, but I lost, you yeah. know, I lost. And and I'd rather not stand at the side, 
laughing at the Brexiteers as they have a diff- difficult time mm. trying to sort something out. There were big questions like, you know, how how do you have free and open trade with the rest of the world, but closed borders to the rest of the world at the same time? It doesn't work. You have mm. to pick one. You can't have both. But that hasn't really... Why, you know, why aren't the Remainers now joining in that debate to try and put pressure yeah. on? So I don't want Brexit negotiations conducted by just Liam Fox and his friends. David Davis, David Davis. my God. You know, I, I want... If, if it is a big... If it is the biggest challenge to hit the UK since the Second World War, you know, why aren't all parties participating in, in what sort of Brexit we should have? But the problem has been that all parties have been trying to hold back mm. on even admitting that Brexit is going to happen. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, again, I'm as gutted about the result. But if yeah. it was the other way around, if we'd won 52 yeah, 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 yeah. Nigel Farage popped up going, no, we've Let's got to... Have, yeah. Second referendum, we never... We would have been absolutely incandescent with uh, with, with rage. It, what was weird, it was like after the vote, the year after the vote, that Remainers kept acting as if... Well, first of all, Brexit... Brexiteers kept as, acting as if they had lost, mm. in that they're still being very chippy, like Trump. To, to yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, exactly, exactly. The bitter winner, and and the Remainers kept act, acting as if they had won. It's just that there was some kind of administrative yeah. problem <laughs> yeah. with the, with yeah. the announcement yeah. of the result. Yeah. But I'm sure if I'm sorry, we, I think you meant uh, Remain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it's <laughs> weird because it's got on all the forms that we're leaving. Yeah. But I'm sure yeah. if we go to the offices of wherever this is <laughs> yeah. checked. We'll see there has yeah. been a mistake. I actually played golf with someone from the electoral yeah. commission. And, and also, you know, we've got all sorts of scientists now who say, <laughs> yeah. factually, Remain is better than, you know. And they, <laughs> and they stayed in those positions that they maintained up to the referendum and they didn't come out oh. of them. And that's been the problem. So there's been this sort of stalemate when, in fact, if, we, if everyone had said, OK, right, OK, you won, you lost, can we just now all have a discussion about what happens next? Yeah, because there are things about Brexit that could yeah. be progressive, like, for example, nationalisation of public services is a lot easier when you're not in the EU. Mm. You know, like, there's a, there was this whole case for Lexit, which was a left-wing Brexit, which yeah, I thought was... Terrible idea. Terrible, total <laughs> nonsense. And also, if you voted uh, Brexit for left-wing reasons, I'd like a progress report on how that's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. However, like, now but, we're doing it, we should talk about what progressive things well, could yeah. come out of I it. mean, for example, you know, they, they were talking to India about having a free trade agreement with India and India was saying, okay, but we need then freedom of movement. And, and I, I think, yes, of course we do. And I so enjoy the fact that Nigel Farage would hate that. Idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's what I was saying earlier. There is this, how can you have, we're open to the mm. world and yet, could the world stay away, please, apart from Australians and New Zealanders? Yeah. yeah. I mean, without sounding like the personification of uh, the comments below the Daily Mail and stop going about the moaners. Yeah. But it is true that I think working in the press, that it's very clear that the demographic of people who just think Brexit is not only the worst thing that's ever happened, but we must overturn it at yeah. all costs, yeah. is, is basically restricted to... Uh, zone one and two in London and people who work yeah. in the press. So the Lib Dems <laughs> attempt to go out to the southwest of England where people had to leave yeah. uh, to be it's not it's not worked, has it? Mm. There should be an electoral college system where columnists get like way more weight on their votes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, obviously I'm only joking. I do not agree with that. But like that's what, what, the, what like, the Daily Mail have. It would have like fifty five <laughs> votes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say though, like you know, in terms of the electoral system, it is quite annoying that like mm. my vote doesn't count because I live in a safe seat. Mm. It's like I may as well set fire to it because <laughs> my you know like my MPs always going to get in. But that is the other problem that we have an electoral system. So there's talk of a new party, 
I mean, it just doesn't work unless that new party actually does an electoral pact with the old party mm. and with the Lib Dems and with the Greens, and they all stay out of each other's ways. Because you know, you have um, you have an electoral system where you have to win a majority mm. of seats. Look, co coalitions are very popular in like in Europe, like in Germany, they're very mm. popular. In fact, um, Angela Merkel apparently said to um, David Cameron when uh, when he went into coalition with the Lib Dems, David, the little party always gets crushed. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. was not wrong. Yeah, no, she was not wrong. Um, on those on those youngins, uh -huh. the youth of our nation. The whippersnappers. The, the whippersnappers. No, if, if, if you can call a 19-year-old a whippersnapper. I think you can. I yeah. think you can. I, mean, I hope you can, because that makes me really old. I mean, even though I look like a 12-year-old, I'm now I'm a 30-year-old man. It's pretty bleak. So we are now going to sound... May as well dis describe yourself as legally dead. It's like that episode of the Amanda Iannucci shows when there's a nursing home for men over 40. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You'll be home going there soon, Owen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we'll all sound very uncool talking about uh, young people, like people's yeah. dads. So, uh, But nonetheless, there's a big generational divide. Yeah. Politics. So in 1983, I found this astonishing. In 1983, uh, Thatcher's Tories had a nine-point lead amongst people 18 to 25 years old. Mm -hmm. According to YouGov, Labour now has a 33-point lead. Mm -hmm. So what's happened is the Tories have an, a huge, absolute lock on people over 65. Yeah. Young people uh, obviously have a very and you know and, and that generational divide is you know the deciding factor in politics, not class at the yeah. moment. What's going on? And, and also the other thing to, to to put in is is in 1983 the proportion of young people who voted was much much higher it was in the sort of 60s and 70s yeah. percent yeah Why? low turnout whereas, is a relatively recent thing now, isn't it no it's a, i was talking to someone the other day about uh, it was the 2005 election so it was blair's third election and that was the first election in which more people didn't vote than voted for the largest party and mm. that for me was a kind of key turning point and i i, I mean there are all sorts of reasons for this i i think a lot of it is to do with this micromanaging of, of elections where you, you home in on the key 100,000 people who are going to swing marginal constituency. Yeah. So all your policies are catered for them. But what that means is you've got people uh, outside that tiny group who all the parties are just taking for granted. And eventually, these the people in this group who are taken for granted, they become a larger and larger number and start thinking, well, I'm not going to vote for you anymore if you're going to take me for granted. Yeah. I think there's a lot, a lot that's got to do. And that's, that's, that was the fault of both parties, both sides. I also think that, um, you know, the effect of honing in on just this small group of people who live in marginals is that, like, the opposition, the parties who are supposed to be in opposition start to yeah. resemble one another. Yes. So people sort of start to think, well, yes. they're all the same. Yes. And that we talked exactly. about this last time, didn't Which we? The Ed Miliband immigration mug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly. Know, you know. And then the fact that, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast, the fact that like uh like politicians come from certain industries like banking and, and so on, mm. and then they become politicians, and then when they stop being politicians, they go back, back. into those industries yeah. again. So it sort of yeah. feels like that politicians, po politics is something that happens with this like remote class of people. Yeah, uh, or they this. do politics at university and then become a kind of work for a think tank or a researcher yeah. for an MP. So yeah. they, they lead a purely political life yeah. from birth yeah. until death. Yeah, and and it and it feels somehow unreal. It's a kind of. I remember when we were doing researching the thick of it. It, it was the first time that I realised that a lot of. <laughs> A lot of politics was run by twenty-five-year-olds. Like Ollie, Ollie Reader. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's who Ollie was based on. That, that you know, who, who uh, and we found it when we were researching 
for Veep and In The Loop in, in America, it was the same. All these sort of rather bright but slightly socially awkward uh, 24, 25-year-olds who were running the State Department and who were, you know, in the invasion of Iraq were actually helping to draw up the Iraqi constitution where, you know, and they, they did, hadn't really, they didn't know how to buy a house or, or how to run a car. <laughs> or but, how to but interact were, with a normal person. Oh, no, but they were, they were telling another country how it was to define itself. Yeah. There's a really funny moment, actually, in the uh, first Labour leadership election where um, Andy Burnham is going like, he was doing an interview in a car. Like there was an interview, in a, like they all did interviews in taxis, I think, and they had yeah. to drive around London. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not this like Westminster guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not like Westminster. I'm, I'm from the north. And then, the, then the driver of the car for this interview was like, um, actually, I'm lost. And Andy Burnham was just like, yep, it's just second on your left. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just drop me off at the uh, at the Ivy. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. There is that there, and, and I do I do find politicians odd. You know, yeah. they're, they're they're a strange breed. They're neither male nor female. They're their own <laughs> sex, yeah. which is politics. And, and do you mean it's and it's as you were saying, it's this obsession. I, I, I remember a civil servant, a former civil servant tell me about when we were searching think of it saying that you know all the ministers get these briefings in the morning which are all the cuttings from that day's press about them and their department and the thing that does to you if you do that every day is you then start thinking that everyone in the country is reading what you're reading yeah as if everyone in the country is going like, well, let's see what's happening in the transport yeah. department today i've got a google you know. alert for yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I know, like <laughs> tristram Hunt. I, which is why they then get obsessed if something has been misquoted or a, or an event doesn't look quite right and they, they want to try and sort it before it gets out and the very fact of sorting it then draws it to everyone's attention so it just gets worse and 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 actually they forget that the real world doesn't Look at politics like that. The real world buys a paper, sees the headline, looks at the back, flicks through, decides what it's going to w- read, and then puts the paper down. That's it. And yeah. then gets on with the rest of its day. I've got a question for you, actually. Yeah. In the thick of it, Hugh, the first... Yeah. the first Hugh Abbott. Yeah. yeah, Hugh Abbott. I always remember a scene where he's given... Uh, Malcolm Tucker gives him a videotape of, like, yes, the Zeitgeist highlights tape. Yes. of, like, all of the... Oh, was, yeah. that, was that something that you just made up, or was that we based on... We kind of made it up, but based on... The conversations they have with their advisors saying, you know, I'm going on desert island discs. What should be my, mm. you know, what should be my eight tracks and luxury item? You know, tell me. Yeah. Tell God, me. God, it's so weird, you isn't know? it? Or, How do I feign normality? And, and we it's kind weird. of heard about, you know, whenever a culture secretary is appointed, of course, the, they have to go on a crash course of mm. what's the last book I read? What's the last play I saw? What's Because I'm going to be asked this tomorrow. <laughs> um, so we thought that. I mean, sometimes we do things and think of it and then we find out. We make them up, and then we find out that they are in fact true. Like, you know, well, people example? have said, "Yeah, we've we've got a sort of a zeitgeist tip." We did a thing in the first episode when they're on their way to make an announcement, and the and the funding is pulled, so they have, they've got forty five minutes in the back of a car to think up a policy that costs no money. And oh, I, I remember got, that, yeah, yeah. And I got the cast to improvise just while we were we were still filming, and we were in the car, so we thought, well, "Let's keep going." And actually, three of our policies became law within the next four or five years. <laughs> Plastic bags, uh, pet asbos. And Chris Addison just, yeah, he came up with a national spare room database, which then turned into the bedroom text. You know. Turns out, actually, that uh, Think of It's actually a think tank for some of it's the a, cornerstone yeah, yeah, yeah. policies yeah, yeah. of successive governments. The think tank in the, the Think of It institution. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you, the Think of It, uh, when it was devised, politics was 
pretty dull at the time in comparison. You had yeah, that was the, what well, was mocking really. Yeah, like, the Cameroons, the Brownites, the Blowers. Since then, all hell has been released, yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah. the apocalypse has repeatedly happened. So, do you think they think it would be possible? Could you make well, no, satire dead? I wouldn't want to do it because I just think. But real life, watch real life, you know, <laughs> yeah. and learn from real life. You know, it's it's the, the reason I was doing the thing of it was because yeah, you're right. Everything was managed. Everything was shut down and micromanaged. Mm. And therefore, I thought, well, what what we need is a show that shows you what really is going on behind the scenes. We 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 think outside these buildings, they look very grand and imposing. Everyone looks like they know what they're doing. But when you go inside, you realise there's lots of people running around going, I don't know, I know. Do you think? Do you think he heard me? Do you think he did? Was I? Was it all right? Was it okay? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to be found out. I don't know. I'm out of here tomorrow. I'm sure. Wikipedia-ing the Geneva Convention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently in the Nixon White House, Kissinger would go around going, do you think he likes me? I don't know. Am I doing okay? <laughs> Henry Kissinger was doing it. You know, everyone is like... So he's trying to attack that. But also, how do these... Everyone also assumes that great big committee meetings happen and hours and days of thought go into mm. it. But it's not. It's someone going into the back of a car and someone saying, uh, you know, could you change that now because um, you're doing a call uh, uh, on the on PM at five o'clock and they'll ask you what it is your policy is. So could you just come up with one in 10 minutes? See ya! Uh, and, you know, it's that. It's, it's seat of your pants stuff rather than um, laid out months in advance. I mean, um, apparently... Um Theresa May's close advisor, Nick Timothy, came up with the yes. so-called dementia tax. Right. Thank you, Nick Timothy, on behalf of all people who do not want the Tories to win this election. We follow each other on Twitter. I'm tempted yes. to DM him like uh, some some uh, some some emojis to express how I how I feel about his contribution. No, but seriously though, I mean, what do you think? Can you imagine that in the thick of it? What scene do you think would be currently taking place between Nick Timothy and Oh, I see. Oh, there would be some fantastic swearing. <laughs> there, there would, and there'd be an attempt to blame each other, but without actually saying it, because she's the prime minister and he's. She thinks uh, she's, she's going. She's going. Fucking prick. <laughs> yeah. You piece of. Look at you with this stupid. I beard. don't think she swears. Or does she swear? I'm trying to imagine. Can you imagine? Yeah, they all, I surely they all swear. I imagine her saying things like hell. Yeah, oh, goodness grief. She's more. She's more like an evil Nicola Murray. I imagine you know, chugging yeah, rescue yeah, remedy yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you know. Putting her trainers on to run out of the office. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. yeah. There's, uh, yes, it's a strange. I don't think she does people. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, and you know, I hate to admit this. I hate to admit this. But there was a tiny part of me that felt a little bit sorry for her in her one show interview because it was like because it was just like watching an introvert try and be normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was a bit like. Oh, I kind of always feel bad that politicians have to pretend to be normal. With a slightly cooler husband. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the only actual debate that she's done on television. She's debated her husband. That's it. That's that's her only live TV debate. Brave and competent leadership. And and in that that, uh, debate, she said she was in a lift and a woman... Uh, said to her she really liked uh, her, her shoes. Oh, Theresa May said she liked her shoes. She said, I will love your shoes. Your shoes got me inspired into politics. Yes. How does that work? <laughs> I mean, that's so weird. I don't even feel like that would have been a line in the thick of it because yeah. you'd have just been like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that Let's makes that no one. sense whatsoever. <laughs> I got, so what did you think? I must, I want to go into, I want to... I want to come up with lots of shoe policies. <laughs> I want a ministry just dedicated to shoe and footwear. I'm, I'm sure it can be done. Ministry of footwear. Ministry of footwear. <laughs> Which actually is probably, I'm sure at some point a, a shoe shop has decided that that's quite a cool yeah, name to but have. But I can't imagine. Ministry be, of footwear. Because the brand of left-wing <laughs> politics that Jeremy Corbyn represents yes. is like everybody must be represented. I could imagine like after five years of a Corbyn <laughs> government, there would be a Ministry of footwear because like the footwear people aren't being represented. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we speak for those without 
a voice. Yeah. And she's. Yeah. And what happens if you only have one foot? I mean, it's like you're suddenly yeah. you're starting to belittle and, you know. And then you have to have the kind of... ministry for people with one foot. Yeah. Ministry yeah. People for, yeah. For three feet, four. Yeah. Junior minister. One, but then you're Minister for centipedes. important. Is Scotland yeah. going to leg it out on Monday? Do you it's think like, Scotland at the moment, is it like a married couple, uh, Scotland, England at the moment, where it's separate beds, all the love's gone, they're leaving passive-aggressive stickies, but it's a case that we can't afford a separate flat, or, or are we going to start having it off I, with each other I again? I don't get that feeling. Um, I remember during the referendum, and up in Scotland asking people, a lot of people were saying, oh, I haven't made my mind up. And I thought, that means you're voting no. Um, and because people don't want to say they're voting no, because they get lots of stick from the nationalists <laughs> and they just can't be doing with it. So they just politely say, oh, I haven't made my mind up. And I think that's I think that's what's happening now. I think there's a feeling that uh, Nicola Sturgeon's just pushing it a bit. She's pushing her luck. Because it was, it was a very exciting time, but I think it was also slightly a traumatic time. And I don't think the bulk of Scots want to go through that again anytime soon. Referendums are great fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't think of a yeah. single bad thing that's come out of having a referendum. Well, yeah. I never referendum every week. Families and you know yeah. people were arguing, you know, quite brilliantly on the street about the pros mm. and cons of keeping the pound and and all that sort of thing. But I just, I, I, I just get the sense, and I've not nothing. I have no scientific evidence to back this up. But my gut feeling is fundamentally, people in Scotland are thinking. Can we please not do this just yet? Please, can we just have a bit of a break? Because if you think about it, they had the referendum, what, 2014? Then it was the 2015 election, 2016 referendum, 2017 election. They've, they've had enough politics. <laughs> that's. I think that's what's the feeling at the moment. Well, I think like they speak for all of us. Mm. Let's talk about as well, let's talk about Trump, because mm. you wrote Veep. Yeah. Um, which, for those of you who don't know, because I think it's... Shows in America, doesn't it? Not here. It's on Sky Atlantic. Here. Yeah, but you can you can you can buy it here. On yeah, you Amazon can get it on Amazon Prime and, and, and oh, talk, iTunes and stuff. Talk, yes. talk, yeah, talk box, whatever that thing's called. Yeah, and your um, commission. <laughs> he, he's our special guest. We've got to big him up. Also, it's really good. You should watch it. Yeah, I actually, watch, in some ways, watch it on planes sometimes when it goes to America. Watch it. Yeah, oh, I've seen all that. In some ways, I prefer it to the thick of it because I think one thing that's different about the thick of it in mm. Veep is that Selena Meyer. That's her name. Yeah, she's um. She's very egotistical and mm. self-interested, and that is something that wasn't in the personality of Hugh Abbott or Nicola. Yeah, Murray. yeah, I sort of felt that the uh, ministers in the thick of it are actually the uh, the human entry point. You know, they're yeah, the ones yeah. you feel sorry for in a way. Yeah, because yeah. they're just trying to get on with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that the... isn't my experience of politicians. My yeah. pol my experience of politicians is that they're more like yeah. Selena Meyer. Because being a politician, people constantly want to please you and are constantly yeah. opening doors for you, and it goes to your head yeah. quite quickly. And also, she's on a bigger stage. Yeah. You know, in the thick of it, it's a very, very obscure, low-budget ministry with very little influence. Uh, and in a, in v, she's the vice president and then becomes the president. So she actually, it's like absolute power, really, you're looking at and how that's exercised. And the knock-on effect, they, you know, things that she says and does can have implications, not just around the country, but around the world. So, and so there's a different, it's a different, it's a different um, set of themes that we look at in in. I always imagined that um, Trump would be like if Jonah got became yeah, president. Yeah, yeah, yes. I feel like different. he's the Trump. I mean, I'm kind of glad guy. I'm not doing it now because it just depresses me. That, yeah. and it, it's and also, I mean, politics now they're trying to work out how to approach Trump because you know if you if you do political comedy, what you do is you take something that 
feels true and then you bend it and twist it and exaggerate mm. it and make a joke out of it or explode the logic or, or whatever you, you know you twist it out of shape but that's what trump does anyway in every yeah. sentence yeah. and every tweet he writes he just he's his own satirist really because he's turning everything <laughs> yeah. he says into something that is then palpably untrue and exaggerated <laughs> you know. when henry kissinger of course won the nobel peace prize after yes. pummeling southeast asia and yeah. uh, slaughtering hundreds of thousands of people uh, tom leary the satirist said satire is dead i mean that is what we're talking about isn't it, yeah. it is, yeah. Yeah. he is a work of satirical genius yeah. in his own right like when he leaked that it, that uh, information to the Russians in that in, yeah. in that discussion yeah. and all of the US like officials were going no that didn't happen it didn't happen and then yeah. he like came out on Twitter and was like yes it yeah, did yeah, yeah. and I feel like you couldn't write that in Veep because it would no. be it wouldn't be funny because it would be too over the top I mean what you could do is what the hell is going on in the other offices in the West Wing yeah, you know, they're coming. You know, they, they sit down and go, "Yeah, is he is he is he going to say that it didn't happen?" No, no, absolutely. I assure you, I've spoken to him. He's he's going to go out there and he's going to say it didn't happen. Then someone coming in going, "He's just said it. He said it's happened." <laughs> Off, oh, you know, he he, he he and that's what's going on. Is White House is in meltdown because none of his staff um, are treated with any respect. But also, they just don't know what to do with him because he will only respond to the last thing that he's seen or heard. I read this thing in political that the way of getting stories to his attention is to put put a print off from a web page on his desk. And he'll read it and go, oh, my God, this has happened. But occasionally, people have had to creep into the old office and take the page away. <laughs> they realised it was a fake news story. And didn't, you, know, it was just <laughs> you just imagine him, like, writing at his desk while there's someone, like, stealthily, like, yeah, yeah. across the Crawl floor. Underneath, yeah, no, just, <laughs> or he comes in while they're doing it, so they have to hide. Yeah. You know. And if it's reached that state that they have to be careful what the last thing is he's seen before he speaks. Yeah. That's not a recipe. And... It, I don't know. I think in two or three years' time, everyone, rather like Caligula, I think Caligula lasted three years. And when Caligula started as emperor, emperor people were going, well, he's a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> Very energetic. He's, he's, he's going to shake things up. He's going to shake things up. He's a maverick. <laughs> and three years in, all the senators were looking at each other and going, he, we're going to have to kill him. We're going to actually have to kill him. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing. When obviously Trump became uh, president, we, uh, you know, for some people, the best case scenario was the nuclear apocalyptic destruction of humanity. Mm. But do you think it's just going to end with him just imploding? I, I'm struggling at the moment to see him make it to 2020. Well, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the frightening thing is he is someone who can just, in a fit of pique, do something. Um, just against someone who's annoyed him. So he's almost like he's starting to dismantle Obamacare by executive order just because he's, you know, Obama annoys him. And, and the worry is that he does do something quite violent, <laughs> given mm. that he's in charge of the biggest army in the world, yeah. for that very reason. So there's that. I wonder whether actually he says in like two and a half years' time, he says to the Republicans, I'm not going to run for re-election. Therefore, I'll be out of your hair, but could you just let me go quietly? If you just yeah. leave me alone well, he's not for the next 18 it, months. It's not clear he's you know. not enjoying it. No. He keeps complaining about it. He yeah. keeps saying he's being bullied and he's like, oh, this is way much more work than I thought it would be. Well, he thought he was going to be the CEO of the company, mm. which, you know, where you can hire and fire people and just tell them what to do. And he's not. He's actually, he's a public servant. And mm. for someone like Donald Trump, being called a servant is the worst thing imaginable. It's the, so emasculating. It's so diminishing and belittling of someone like him. Who thinks you can just say things and 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 they happen, you know? And and he's, you know, he's he's a he's a 
it's he's great at sales. That's why he won. He's a salesman. Mm. But that's sales is old talk, isn't mm. it? It's all you know. It's advertising. Mm. It's it's exaggerating. It's that thing of saying it's it's twisting the truth to make it look shiny and gleamy and and you know desirable. Um, the thing is, he's no. What he hadn't counted on was the fact of then four years of actually doing dull desk work. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, meeting people he probably doesn't want to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see him at the NATO summit though? He, uh, he shoved aside. Shoved, yeah. I think it was the Prime Minister of Montenegro. Yeah. Uh, but all I all I could <laughs> think oh. all I could think of was macho, macho yeah. man. <laughs> oh, Macron! Did you see the footage of Macron <laughs> looking like he was heading towards Trump and then just diverging away to kiss Angela Merkel <laughs> and every other European leader first before he shook Trump? <laughs> Right, well, you've been an absolute gentleman. Thank you very much. I'm sorry it's hot here. We've had to shut all the windows. We're actually now naked. We took all our clothes off because it was so hot. I just did it because I felt like it. (laughs) If you heard any uh, traffic sound, it's because we're in Armando's office in central London um, and there's traffic outside. And it's um, actually on a roundabout in the middle of... uh, yeah, and the Chiswick roundabout. Yes, it's an outdoors office. Yeah, yeah. It's a pop-up office. <laughs> you like to live on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry about that if you've heard any traffic noises, but that's the that's the reason why. That's, um, that's life. Yeah, yeah. That's 21st yeah. century living. Yeah, deal yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not on. sorry. I take it back. Yeah, don't email any complaints in. That's yeah, what it's like care. being in the metropolitan elite. Yeah, yeah. 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 Surrounded by loud traffic. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you very much, Amanda. You are a, uh, a bloody icon, is what you are. Thank yeah. you for listening. So we will see you in a couple of weeks when we hopefully will have another guest. But who could top Amanda? Well, it's another be... inferior guest. Yeah, just so whatever guest we book, just so you know in advance that you're not as good. Yeah, so please respond to our emails and <laughs> yeah. When I was... I'm back. Uh, when I uh, I was doing the uh, McTaggart lecture in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh TV Festival, and they put me up in a rather nice hotel. And I was on this floor that had, like, suites of rooms. And everywhere on the hotel wall, it said PF. PF. No, no sorry, P, PG. PG. And I found out what PG means. It was preferred guest. <laughs> <laughs> they like no the PG ones aren't for you Amanda so if you thought, could just go down the hall right, does that mean that floors 1 to 19 are <laughs> annoying guests that we'd rather not have <laughs> whereas floor tw- just all the, the preferred people floor 20 so um, you won't be one of our preferred people no it'll be a great guest in their own oh, right yeah, come on yeah. Just leave it there. It's yeah. Pope Francis <laughs> yeah, yeah. come on Popey <laughs> answer, the, answer your phone uh, so uh, I've been Owen Jones I've been Ellie Mayo Hagen. And Playing Out is a song, a very special song, uh, which I think honours Manchester in all its glory. Yeah, Manchester, this one's for you. Thank you.